Well, today is December 16th, year of our Lord, 2015. Whoa! Wow. Here, uh, you guys are not going to want to miss if you are getting ready for Mexico. If you're not coming with us to Mexico, would you be getting ready with us? Would you be praying? Would you be interceding for the incredible things that are going to go on while we're there? Um, I, I wanted to start off tonight. Uh, I know everybody, if you're like me, um, you, uh, my life right now, I could not be any more busy. <laughs> Could not be any more packed in from sunup to sundown. And actually, if it was only a sunup to sundown, it'd be like a vacation. But um, so I wanted to start off and uh, I'm going to we're going to show you a couple of pictures here. And I just want you guys to tell me, don't put it up yet. So when we put it up there, I just want you to tell me who these are pictures of. Okay, so uh, first one. Jay Leno. Jay Leno, right? Okay. Uh, Tonight show host for a long time, right? Who, who's who's next? Who? What's the next picture we have? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so 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 this is this is from the, yeah yeah Doc Holliday's in the back. This is from the movie Tombstone. Just threw that in because this is one of Pastor Eric's favorite movies. I watched it the other night just to celebrate it. So uh, all right, do we have another one here? Okay, who's that? You're fired, right? Yeah. Oh, God, please. I'm not going to make any political comments here. Okay, next one. Stallone. Hey, Adrian, yo. All right. So, um, so here, here's what I want to bring up. Um, these actually aren't pictures of anybody. Right? What are, what are, these are called caricatures. Right? So the title of tonight's sermon is Character versus Caricature. Hopefully I can say that correctly all night, and if I don't, you fill in the right one. Because I think you can figure it out already where we're going with this, right? So there's, there's a caricature that can happen. Um, I thought about doing something where uh, trying to depict a person walking into an old carnival, and they had, what, a house of mirrors, right? You would walk in, and you'd stand in one mirror, and you look seven feet tall, and and eight inches wide, and you step to the next mirror, and because of the way the mirror is, you're now two feet tall and four feet wide, or whatever it is. Um, I, th- I thought about that, but I was like, let, let's, let's take a look at these caricatures here. So what is the, what is the idea of a caricature? caricature? What you do is you take a few features. Let's go ahead and put slide back up there. Yeah, just leave them there for a second. What you do is you take a few features. Uh, in this case, pronounce chin with his, I don't even know what you call that, the little... The little mouth thing that he's got there. The fact that he is quite muscular, quite muscled up even at almost 70 years of age, I think is what he is now, right? He's 68 or 69 or something like that. And, which is, I'm going to hide behind the podium now. But, <clears throat> but what you do in a caricature is you take one or two items, you take one or two features, and what do you do? You blow them out of proportion and make that the main part. Uh, what we do sometimes as believers is we have a caricaturized version of ourselves. We take one idea, this is what I am. We take, uh, we take some concept of who we are and we make a caricature of ourselves. Is that Sylvester Stallone? No. no. It's a caricature of Sylvester Stallone. Now these are actually not completely exaggerated as much as others. You can, if you've ever gone to, uh, uh, had some artists do it outside of a, of a nice, like while you're out, uh, we've done that with kids before. We'll go on a, on a vacation. We'll go down to, 
San Antonio and we'll be at the Riverwalk and we'll stop and we'll pay somebody some ridiculous amount of money for them to draw caricatures. First one we ever did was my wife and I and she was pregnant with Gabe. So they gave her a ginormous belly and was like, boop, and drew an arrow. Said Gabe. And we're like, ah. It's fun when you pay for it. It's fun at the little places. These are fun pictures. It's not so fun when that is your actual view of yourself. When what you see in the mirror is something that is not reality, but it's something that's exaggerated. And my son is not in here tonight, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about him for a second. My conversation with my son last night was this. Son, I want you to be a bold warrior for Christ. But what I'm afraid of right now is you think that that's the only thing that you're going to be. You take what you think about being a warrior in the kingdom of God and you're going to make a caricature of yourself if you're not careful. We had a long discussion. It actually included tombstone references. Pastor Eric would have been very proud. Amen. <laughs> and, I, and I told him, I said, if, if you were only going to be one-sided, if you're only going to be a war club, for example, let's not presume that we know everything that that means when you're 15, son. Let's not make a caricature of our life even as we're getting it started. Perhaps we should have a better developed idea of who we really are so that we can operate properly. If we have a characterized version of ourselves, we can have too high a thought of ourselves. Um, there was a, a little cartoon I saw many years ago, and it, <laughs> I just thought it was very, very funny. And in the picture, it's a little cartoon window, right? And the guy is uh, very overweight, uh, not, not the prettiest picture of a guy. And when he's looking in the mirror, he sees like this Adonis, right? Actual, no. But what he sees is like, yeah, still got it. And this wife is standing next to him and she is drop dead gorgeous. And her picture and reflection in the mirror is of this hideous creature. Which one are you? Are you the one that's not as in shape and you look at yourself and you're like, yeah, still got it. Or is God really done some significant things in your life and you undervalue what God has done? Either way, I want to, I want to give to you tonight is dangerous. Let's take a look. Let's jump into the Scripture here. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 18. I have a lot of Scripture tonight, so <laughs> surprise, surprise, right? So... Make sure you're letting me know when you are there. Yeah, JJ, we won't come back to the picture, so thank you. Let's go up to verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you're walking around with a caricaturized version of yourself, perhaps we can pray the same thing for you tonight. To get The Lord will give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know Him better. Isn't that an awesome phrase? Verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. My biggest hope for you tonight is that we can all take an assessment of how we actually see ourselves. Are you actually looking at yourself according to the Word? Do you actually use that and let God's words to you, 
Let God's words about you, let His word wash over your own perception of yourself so that you don't go and you always see a caricature, but you let the true character of God be revealed in you. Amen? Does this make sense? And in order that you may know the hope to which He's called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance and the saints. Let's turn to Judges chapter 6. We're going to take a a quick look at just a few biblical characters and we'll see what their view of themselves were. Judges chapter 6. All right, it's a Wednesday night. Everybody's been busy. We've traveled from halfway across the world to get here. Okay, y'all got to stay with me tonight. Okay, I need your help. Actually, it'll be to your benefit to stay as engaged in this as you can. Amen? Yes. Uh, Judges chapter 6, we're going to be talking about Gideon. And let's start in verse 11. It says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Threshing wheat in a wine press. Uh, In case you don't know, usually you're not supposed to be threshing wheat in a wine press. You put the wine and the grapes in the wine press, and that's what you normally use it for. So Gideon was hiding of sorts. He was trying to stay out of the way, got to get the food, got to get things done, but I'm a little nervous about what's going on around me, so I'm going to do it so nobody comes and takes my stuff, takes my food. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Huh. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, I love how the angel addressed him specifically But what were his thoughts? His thoughts were about the people. I do like that about Gideon. You are a mighty warrior. Hey, hold up, mister. If the Lord is with us, why are all these things happening? If God has really spoken something over our people, why is what I see different than what you're saying reality is? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. When you have a character view of ourselves, you know what starts to happen? We start to have a caricaturized view of who God is. We start attributing to God characteristics that although they may be there, we start blowing them out of proportion. Is that not what our hyper-grace movement has done? Our God is a gracious God. If you don't understand that, then you don't understand who God really is. But to make it only about grace and to redefine His grace and His mercy to be something that it is not, people who have a caricaturized version of themselves have therefore started to overlay who God a, a different picture upon who God really is. This is exactly what Gideon does. He has a wrong view of himself. He was addressed as a mighty warrior. I'm I'm kind of scared. So let me let me um, you address me as a mighty warrior. So let me start. Let me change the subject. Let me start addressing something different. Let me start showing you what I really actually think about myself. Because I'm going to impose that upon my God. 
Wow. When he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all these wonders? Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. Huh. Has the Lord really abandoned them? Do we know? Let's, let's go back to verse 1. Let's see why they were in the trouble that they were in. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Well, surprise, surprise. And for seven years, He gave them into the hands of the Midianites. The Lord abandoned us. No, my friend, you're walking in sin. And sin has consequences. God has actually been trying to get your attention and you've refused Him. So now, because you don't, have, you don't have the character, you have some characterized version of who you are, and now you're saying that about who God is. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkey. Pretty heavy oppression. Do you understand now why he was threshing wheat in a wine press? It wasn't that it didn't make sense. This was the scope of the land. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. Wow, what a visual what a, what a mental picture that gives us. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Everybody say, to ravage it. To ravage it. Wow. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they finally cried out to the Lord for help. Well, I guess that's the way it needs to work. Listen to verse 7. Though. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet, an unnamed prophet, who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Um, As I was reading this this afternoon, verses 7 through 10 reminded me of the entire conversation in Exodus 6. I saw this as a summarized version. If you've been coming on Monday nights to Foundations, there were seven things that God says, I will, I will, I will. This is to me is just a shorthand version of reminding them. I'm reminded of Exodus 6. I can't imagine that the people of God wouldn't have thought the very same thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. He's saying, I'm going to do these things. Then that's when the angel of the Lord shows up. Let's look at verse 14. This is after he said, the Lord has abandoned us. The Lord turned to him. We know it's the angel of the Lord, right? Turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Isn't that an interesting way to say that? Not go in the strength that I hereby therefore give ye. That was was for you, angel. Don't a little... Why did he not say, go in the strength that I'm going to give you? Why did he not say, go... He said, go in the strength that you have. So this angel of the Lord is seeing something different in Gideon than he can perceive in himself. 
He's got all these reasons that he views himself. And what are they? Let's, let's read a little bit further. We'll see what Gideon actually thinks about himself. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I'm telling you to go. What is his response? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Caricature. Boom. <laughs> Little scrawny. What is his view of himself? I, I don't know exactly. Perhaps it's just this weak, little, small, timid thing. But the angel of the Lord is saying, you're a mighty warrior. Your character that I'm developing in you is something powerful and it's mighty, even though you see yourself as small and insignificant. The Lord answered, I will be with you. If that doesn't wash over your soul, then you didn't hear what I just said. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Amen. You know what happens? Uh, when we have a caricature view of ourselves? we start to have a caricaturized view of God. We also don't recognize God's voice. You realize He's talking to the angel of the Lord. As a matter of fact, it stops calling Him the angel of the Lord and just says the Lord because He's operating on behalf of the Lord. So the words are coming from heaven itself to Him. He hasn't noticed yet He's still too busy viewing himself in this weird way. He hasn't even noticed that it's the very voice of God speaking to him. Does this sound familiar? I I hope you're thinking about times in your life where you're like, it took me so long to figure out that it was God speaking to me. (laughs) I became an overnight success. Of course, it took me 15 years to get there. Right? God just revealed this to me. We're like, we've been saying that to you for like six months now. <laughs> we have pro- prophecies and words and planes flying by with the words, you know, <laughs> follow me. You know. huh? What? All of a sudden, God spoke to me. We're like, yes, he's been speaking to you. Would you please pay attention? Would you please understand that you are not a caricature? Let God's character be formed in you and you will hear his voice when he speaks to you. Gideon replied, if I have now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me. What? Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Wow. He had to go wherever he had to go and get a sacrifice and prepare the sacrifice and come back and bring it. This is not like, hey, I'm going to go run out to my car real quick. Hang on. And the Lord said He's going to wait until He returned. (laughs) What a merciful, gracious God. Verse 19, Gideon went in, prepared a young goat. And from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast. How quickly can you make bread? I don't know. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. Well, amen, you made him dinner. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place it on this rock, and pour out the broth. God will take what we have when we offer it to him as a sacrifice. He will take it and use it. Like the little boy who had the fish and the loaves and fed the 5,000, he doesn't need a lot from you. I'm not saying that well. 
He wants your all. And even if that's a small amount, he will use it for great things. He doesn't want a lot from you. Of course he wants a lot from you. Of course he wants all you have. Of course he wants your own view of yourself to die so that he can show you who you really are. Of course that's the way he is. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. Whoosh! And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, that's when he realized it was the angel of the Lord. He talked to him, uh, had this whole discussion, went home, slaughtered a goat, prepared the goat, made a stew, prepared unleavened bread, came back, presented it to the angel. The angel said thank you, set it on fire, and when the angel vanished, he was like, wait a minute. I think that was the Lord. I do not look at Gideon with disdain or distrust. I go, that's so me. That's me. How many times in my life has God been screaming at me and talking to me over and over and I finally went, wait a minute. Thank you, Lord, that your mercies remain new every morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are patient with me beyond beyond anything I could ever deserve. (laughs) When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then off we go with a lot of different other things. I just wanted to show you a picture of Gideon who had a wrong view of himself. It gave him a wrong view of who God is and what God was doing. It caused him to not be able to hear the very word of the Lord. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's look at another incredible biblical figure. 1 Samuel 16. We're going to look at David, King David, verse 1. Is everybody there? Okay. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Just a quick little aside here. Let's not be mourning for things that God has just finished in our lives. Let's not look back for things that he has said, I have ended this. Let's not um, reminisce. Now, this is easy for me because I do not reminisce. It's not that I don't want to. It's just that I don't. My wife, I've said this before, my wife is so incredible. That's why she is so perfect in my life. She is a perfect easer for me because she is uh, sincere and compassionate and she reminisces and thinks about, oh, do you remember when this? And I'm like, yes. No, no, I hope so. Right? She's the compassionate one. Let me tell you, there are some points in your life where you just need to forget about what has gone on before. Amen. What it, God, if he's put it to death, you put it to death. If he's close, yeah, you can. Do it. Come on. How long will you mourn for Saul? How long are you going to mourn over the things that you've lost? How long are you going to mourn over the battles that you've lost and the things that you haven't done right? How long are you going to mourn? Close the door on it, put it in the past, and you go forward. Just go forward. But what about how long are you going to mourn over this? Hmm. 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. <laughs> Fill your strength with the anointing presence of God and move on. That's a word for somebody, for somebody's in here, so y'all, I hope you take that. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Well, amen. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and want to kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. This is true. God was not causing him to lie or fib. This is actually what he was going to go do. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. Uh, you know, we need to go about doing God's will. And sometimes he shows us when we're there. After we've already got our little program in motion, well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to show me what to do. Quit mourning over what's going on and move forward. And when you get there, he was, in, he was doing the part that he knew what God told him. He went and did that. When you get there, I'll speak to you and I'll give you more. Well, it's not going to happen before. I lost my place, sorry. Uh, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord asked or Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. <laughs> ah, I remember being a child uh, in, in church and having some prophetic man come through the church and for a special revival or something. And I remember as a kid going, Please don't call me out. Please don't call me out and, and, and correct me in front of everyone. A little misplaced, but I did have a reverence for the things of God. I was like, it made me want to get my heart right because I knew that he might say something and God might tell him something. And, and if I don't know, Lord, <laughs> I remember being 10 and thinking this, 12 and thinking this when people would come through the church. Reminds me of, of me. That's what I'm saying. Uh, Samuel replied, uh, they asked, did you come in peace? Verse 5, Samuel replied, yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. His sons. I wonder if it was all his sons that he consecrated. I'm going to say I don't think it is. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely... The Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the, the things man looks at. Aren't you glad? When I was in education, when I was a principal, we had always reading studies and surveys and of, how, of lots of different things. When I was a music teacher, they would take... Um, studies, and they would have a person who was, by all accounts, considered very attractive and had them, for instance, sitting at a piano, but they would take the performance of someone else. They would start mixing and matching the sound performance based on what they looked like. So here's what would happen. They would put a very skilled person and then a person who wasn't skilled but maybe was more attractive or whatever, and they would have the same performance they would actually have the original performer and then they would put that same music. They judged this one better. It was the exact same soundtrack. It was this person's work. And they were trying to show that there's a natural bias that we as human beings have. They looked at someone and were like, man, they must be really good. 
It wasn't that person's work. And the exact same soundtrack when they did it on the actual person, they graded them lower. Time after time after time after time after time. This is almost beyond contestation. And so they were trying to say when you're judging, you know, here are some things that you can do. Is that not exactly what the Bible says? Yes. That's, that's why I went, oh, <laughs> I know what that principle's from. I know it took you guys a million dollars and you studied however many people. I could have read from 1 Samuel 16 and saved you like $2 million. <laughs> Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man tries to build caricatures of everything and everybody they see. God is not confused. God is not at all swayed uh, swayed by any of those things that we think about ourselves. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? <laughs> well, there is still the youngest. I think this is the most amazing, one of the most intriguing stories to me. The prophet of the nation, the whole nation, comes to your house. They consecrate himself and his sons. And they start going, hey, we're about to pick the next king. We're about to have a coronation service here. All right, let's start going down the row. From oldest, none of them. You got anybody else? <laughs> oh, yeah. I got one more. I didn't figure we would actually get to him. I figured that one of the first seven would have surely been the king, but I got one that's out there tending to the flock. I got to be honest with you. This story has ministered to me more times than I can count. If King David the best king in Israel's history, the one who Jesus emulates, the one who had said that he will come back and sit on David's throne, if he got forgotten about, if he got left in the back, if he got ignored, if, oh, amen. Amen. Oh, I got some good company that I'm keeping now. I got some good company because I think all these things, Lord, uh, I'm trying to wrestle with these things and it's causing me... When I have to wait, when I get ignored, when I get pushed to the back, when I get overlooked, it causes me to deal with something that is so gracious because God doesn't want me to have the character version. But I'm, but I, but I, I'm better than this. or They're not recognizing me. Or, you know what it's doing? It's causing you to go, God, I want your character at work in me. I just want to be what you want me to be. When I keep saying how much I deserve and how much I want to and how much they're overlooking and how much they're not seeing, I'm really doing what Gideon starts doing. I start precluding the wrong motives to everybody else and I fail to see what I'm doing. One of the things that we do here for our marriage teaching is we have cards that we do about Nabal and Abigail traits. Amen. If if you haven't gone through the teaching, you need to. Amen. There are a lot of things that these cards can be used for. But the truth is, is one of the main things that we use the cards for is this. 
Would you deal with the own sin and the attitudes in your life? Would you praise and encourage your spouse? But let's start with you dealing with you. You take responsibility. And you try to bless them as much as you can. But, but what if they don't... But what about, mm, 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 mm. don't say another word. Pull out your card. You put it in front of your face and you see the things that you are without Christ. And you start seeing them not as a character of what you want to make them, of how you need for them to be so you can be right. You start looking at them with pure eyes and you know what? It's going to fix a lot of things. It's, it's going to heal a lot of things and you... Not only in a marriage relationship do I need that, but I start understanding that this is really the principle that I'm supposed to have when I deal with people around me. Let me start here. Let me get this right. Let me not have the plank in my own eye and be talking about the splinter in your eye. I got an oak tree coming out of this thing. I'm like, (laughs) everybody's like, seriously, bro. Isn't that a fun image? Right? Hyperbole, right? It's, over, it's overblown, right? It's a caricature. You know why? Because it's supposed to help us remember. It's supposed to help us go, <laughs> that's pretty silly. So don't do it. Amen. So start off there. Amen. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Something to be said about that. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Huh. We have an angel that waits. We have the prophet of God that waits for us to catch up to where they already are. (laughs) I was talking with Pastor Eric beforehand and and we were talking about caricatures. You know what's an interesting point about caricatures? They're usually humorous. Sometimes they intend to be demeaning. It's a demeaning or a humorous look at famous people, typically. Typically drawn by somebody that will never know their name. Drawn by the anonymous to make fun of the famous. Let me take them down a notch. Let me show you what I can do with my satire, with my look at what I can do. Let me cut you down. Let me, let me start letting people look at you differently because I'm really ashamed that nobody's looking at me at all. Hmm. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Woo-woo. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. We're at a church that is trying to help you understand two seemingly opposing things. You have a divine call, but it is not yours to do by yourself. You have something that God has called you to do and function, but you've got to understand that it fits within the context of the body of Christ. <laughs> we are not lone rangers. We are part of a body. We are not a branch that's supposed to be independent of ourselves, but we're supposed to be connected to the true vine. We cannot do these things unless we understand this. Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. 
And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Everybody say, in power. power. Samuel then went to Ramah. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Hope you guys are tracking with me tonight. 1 Peter chapter 2. I don't know how revelatory that a message like this is tonight. But I think it's important that we are reminded of what we know here. Don't know that I'm telling you anything that you already haven't heard. But the revelation comes in that it's not information. That God starts quickening things to your heart and it's designed to change us. Information does not change you. You can assimilate lots of information. As a matter of fact, information and knowledge may only puff you up. But revelation changes you. It is transformative in what it is. That's why we get together. That's why we say corporately, this is important. You know why? Because we're expecting, we're believing, we trust in the fact that God, through His Word, through the body, will cause things to come alive in me that need to come alive in me right now. Well, I used to, I I know that. I I don't care. I, I don't care if you learned this 10 years ago or you learned this 10 minutes ago. If it doesn't transform you, then we've missed it. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4, says this, As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men. Huh. Maybe He knows what it's like to be rejected. But chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable. And that is our mission in life is to offer to the Lord that which is acceptable to Him. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Have you ever just been embarrassed beyond belief? Oh yeah. I mean, just embarrassed. I can remember so many times in so many different places. I I feel like that just basically describes me up to the age of like, I don't know, probably 35. No, Uh, you know, like, I remember being in high school and just being embarrassed. I would make a mistake and and it would just wash. It would just wash over me. I'm like, oh, That's why I look to these kind of scriptures. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. You will never be put to shame when your trust and your hope is fully in Him. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. I can't express to you how precious it is. But to those who do not believe, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Look at the beginning part of that. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Who do we know that to be? I got half of you saying it. Who do do we know this to be? Yeah, in this case, it is the correct answer. It's like Sunday school. You can go ahead and say Jesus and you're doing pretty good, right? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Let's look in Psalm 118. Psalm 118. 
Yeah, Rico, do it. Man, got to catch up with Rico. <laughs> there-ish. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm close. <laughs> Let's start in verse 17. Psalm 118, verse 17. I will not die, but live. And will proclaim what the Lord has done. Goodness gracious. This is a specific thing for somebody here tonight. I will not die, but live. If you've suffered great tribulation, you will not die. If you are here tonight, you've already won. You're made of overcoming stuff because you're still here. You will not die, but you will live. And you know what else you're going to do? You're not just going to live. You're going to proclaim what the Lord has done. You're not, (laughs) I like to say, you're not just going to survive, you're going to thrive. You're going to move forward in God. This, I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Boy, that, that sounds like there's some boldness in that, doesn't it? If you were saved from cancer, if you were saved from some tragic accident, wouldn't you go around telling everybody? Amen. How much more the glory of the Lord? Amen. The Lord has chastened me severely. Uh-oh. But He's not given me over to death. See what that means? That means I'm going to live and not die. And I will proclaim the Lord. That's what that means. Open for me the gates of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. <laughs> I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The one who has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us. That's the one that we're crying out to. The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 22, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Now this is a psalm of David. About 1000 B.C.-ish. If you're looking at this passage and you're a thousand years before Christ, a thousand years, You know who you can look at this and maybe consider this might be? Could be a look at David. The stone that the builders rejected. How many times was David rejected? How many people rejected David? Everybody. The stone that the builders rejected has become the capstone. David is the prototype of what a king should look like. Why? Because he was a man after what? After God's own heart. It wasn't because he was perfect and free from from error. It was because he had a heart that said, I will do what you tell me to do. I will go forward and do everything that you tell me to do. He allowed God to form his own view of himself. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. He was willing to lay at his feet and say, (laughs) it's funny because Abigail and Nabal, actually David is involved in that story as well. I can imagine David pulling out a card. I remember Nabal. <laughs> sort of my mind when I was like, oh, that's kind of funny because he was in that story. Abigail's quick thinking, 
her pure-heartedness kept David from coming in and destroying Nabal. And God took care of Nabal about a, within, a, within a week or whatever it was. Fear struck him. He basically had a stroke and he died like a week or so later. God avenged his enemies and kept David's hands pure because of a Christ-like, a godly Abigail who ran forth and laid herself at the king's feet. Let's turn to Psalm while we're here. It's Psalm 40 and verse 11. Psalm 40 and verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. If people in our day and time would just understand that it's His love and His truth that will protect you. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. One of the things I appreciate so much about the Bible is it gives you an actual look at the human condition. David, the king beyond compare. This this beautiful example of, of God. This throne that Jesus will come back and sit on. Do you see him in this moment? Even the king who has this characterized version of himself? My troubles are without number. They surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I can't see. There are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. He's crying out and saying, Ha! I'm overwhelmed. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. I wonder which battle he's specifically thinking about here. I wonder which time. God came in and spoke and caused an entire army of people to get confused and start battling themselves. I wonder what he's, I wonder what he's reminiscing over. May all who seek, uh, seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire to ruin, to desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. Now what do you, Come on, let's just stop for a second, right? What, what is he talking about? <laughs> Have you ever had people who are like, they're waiting to catch you in something? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it! Ha-ha! Gotcha! I love the word. Look at this. May all those who say, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. You're trying to catch me. But what you don't understand, I'm not a character. You may see a attribute and you may try to blow it out of proportion, but that's not who I am. That is not who I am. That is not what defines me. I will not let sin. I will not let the past. I will not let failure. I will not let weakness define who I am because I'm going to define myself by what the Word says and that's it. (laughs) Smith Wigglesworth said, the Bible says it, that settles it. Amen. If the Bible says it, then that should settle it for us. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Amen. Amen. Um, 
There's a picture of someone thinking too highly of themselves. Let's turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17. Had to make sure that I got a law in here tonight. <laughs> Deuteronomy 8, 17. You may say to yourself, I love that the Bible even knows what we say to ourselves. How many times in the New Testament do we see people thinking to themselves, and it says that Jesus, knowing what they were thinking, addressed them and said, Woo! Wow. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. We can think of ourselves too highly. Hey, I really got this going on. (laughs) Overweight guy looking like, what up? We can think of ourselves as David sometimes, who's been anointed, appointed, chosen, and feel abandoned and ridiculed. Let's see. We're going to read. We're going to take our remaining time here, and we're going to read some scriptures. I I, uh, was reminded of this last night, speaking with some friends. And I thought that it would be something that would be incredibly encouraging to us. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you write in your Bible, I'm going to say that the next list of scriptures that I'm going to give you would be something you might want to consider putting as a list in your Bible for you to look at when you start viewing yourself in the wrong kind of perspective. You need to come back to this and let the water of the Word wash your mind. Well, But I'm just, how do I defeat these things? The Bible says, this is why the Word is so important because it's not just information, remember? It's revelation. And when you have revelation, you can get transformation. So what happens is, is we go to the Word. We have a problem. We have a lie that we keep believing in. We have something that we keep chewing on and we can't seem to get it right. And what you do is, is you go to the Word And you say, here's what the Word says. Lord, I feel this way. Lord, all I want to do is do what the Word says. When you make it that simple, let's say that clear. It's not always simple to change the way that you think. It takes an intense amount of work and the washing of the power of the the Word and of the Spirit to wash those things out of your mind. But what you do, the way that you do it is you find the Word of God and you hold on to it. And you say, I feel differently than that. But Lord, Your Word says this. And I choose to do, to believe, to act upon what Your Word says even though I want to do this. And you conform. You take every thought and you make it captive and make it obedient to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5. You make it. You make your mind come into alignment. You make your actions come into alignment. You make yourself conform to only what the Word says. If you start here, I promise you, you will have the power to overcome. What we're going to do right now is we're going to read 12 different things. And if you have a habit of viewing yourself in some characterized version, this will help you to view yourself properly. Amen? Ephesians chapter 2. I'm in Philippians, sorry. Which is also good in Philippians chapter 2. But Ephesians chapter 2, 
going to try to be disciplined here and only read the verses that are there. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Jesus, uh, with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. You know what the Word says? The Word says that we are seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Look at it. Think on it. I am seated with Him in the heavenly realms. The Bible says it. That settles it. Okay, so each of these, I want us to do that. I'm going to say the Bible says it, and you're going to say that settles it. So verse 6, we're all going to read it. We're going to look at it again together. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The Bible says it. Hmm. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I hope, I, hope you're not, I, hope, I hope I'm not hearing a lot of pages because you're writing notes. I'm going to presume that you are writing notes so that you can go back. Verse 14. Romans eight fourteen. Write it down. I'm patient. I want you to get it. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of of God. We are the very children of God. I am a son of God. The Bible says it. Hmm. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're just going to go back and forth here in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6. And by the way, if you want to get blessed please go back and read before and after these verses that I'm giving you. It is rich. It is rich. What I'm trying to do now is not take away from the richness. I'm trying to focus it in on something that we can ingest and we can take with us. This is not me trying to dumb anything down. It's trying to focus in and saying, this is what the Bible says and it should settle it in our hearts. If we feel something different than what the Bible says, we move ourselves towards the Word. We are not the people who want the Word to start shimmying towards us. Well, it must mean this. No, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to read it and what it says, I do. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6 says this. This mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ. This verse tells me that I am a co-heir. The Bible says it. Okay, look. Y'all got to help me out. Okay. I know this is unusual for us. We're not like a call and response kind of place. I get it. Okay. We're going to get it tonight though. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together. The Bible says that I am a co-heir. The Bible says it. All right, that's better. That's what I'm saying. Second Corinthians chapter five. <laughs> and also with you. Second Corinthians chapter five. <laughs> Verse twenty one. 
these are so good, these passages. Goodness gracious. God has made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Bible says that I am the righteousness of God. The Bible says it. Amen. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The, the word here says that we are clothed with Christ. We are clothed. We are wrapped. We are enveloped. When people look at us, that's what they're supposed to see is what we are clothed in. We are covered. We are protected We are clothed with Christ. The Bible says it. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. And verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness... In Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. (laughs) The Scripture says that we are full in Christ. You know what? The Bible says it. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Go ahead, Sekola. Work that out. I like it. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 4. Second Peter chapter one and verse four. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. <laughs> this scripture tells me that I'm a participator in the divine nature. You know what? The Bible says it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? This Scripture tells me that I'm the very dwelling place of God. Bible says it. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. Boy, what a great verse, right? All these, so powerful. If that just doesn't resonate in your heart, 
We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. That is my heart's cry. That is the heart's cry of this church. Lord, we want to please you in every way. We don't want there to be any line that we're not willing to go. We don't want there to be any location that we won't go and give our lives for you, Lord. We don't want you, to, whether it's by going or whether it's by stopping, whether it's by being active or whether it's by resting, Lord, we want to make you happy in every way. Amen. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power. Yeah. God, all power. All Everybody say all power. All power being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Ever been tired before? What happens when you start losing your endurance? You start losing your patience too, don't you? It's neat that that the word pairs it like that. Great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. The Lord has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and the kingdom of light. This scripture tells us that we are strengthened with all power. The Bible says it. I I actually kind of, I might add another one here. This scripture also tells me that I'm qualified in him. He has qualified me. The Bible says it. First Peter chapter 2. If you don't do this regularly in your own study, if you don't just look and meditate on the Word of God and let it impact you like this, if you're just reading through because you're trying to be um, diligent, well, amen. Thank you for that. And there should be some times where it's just reading through it and it starts washing over you. And it starts impacting you because it starts coming alive and something starts bubbling up and you go, whoa, Whoa, this is what I need. This is, this is water to a, in, in a desert, in a barren place. This is feeding my soul. This is renewing me. It's washing over me. It's like the law of the Lord is perfect and it revives my soul. Let it revive you. Amen? Amen. What did I say? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This passage tells me that I am a holy and a royal priest. The Bible says it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just a couple of more here. There. 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 As He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us. What? What? We are Christ's ambassadors. As if God 
is making His appeal through us. We carry royal privileges because we're an ambassador. When we come together in a church, it's supposed to be like an embassy. I remember Pastor Eric speaking on this maybe a year ago. A revelation just in dealing with passports and visas. You know what happens in an embassy? If you have a Mexican embassy here in Houston, that square footage is supposed to be treated as if you were just, just like as if you were in Mexico. The same rules, the same uh, governing authority, and it's in the middle of something else. That's what a church is. It's an embassy. You know what the embassy houses? Ambassadors. Here on this square footage, though it may not look like much, it is carrying the same authority, the same rules, the same power as the heavenly place and the heavenly kingdom that we come from. And we are ambassadors. This passage tells me that I am an ambassador of God. The Bible says it. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to end the night where we started. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. This passage tells me that I am God's inheritance. The Bible says it. Folks, don't be a character. Don't be a characterized version of yourself. You do not need to emphasize certain characteristics because you think that those are your defining qualities to the exclusion of all others. Well, I'm just this. Sometimes when we say that, we actually show that we have more pride and we think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Romans tells us not to do that. Sometimes when we show that forth, we're trying to say, I'm actually scared and I just don't want to step out. So if I'm a character, no one will expect me to have to actually do what God is calling me to do because, I mean, that's just not me. I mean, clearly I can't do that. No, clearly you can do anything the Bible says you can. Anything and everything the Bible says, we want to let His Word wash over us. We want to let it resonate. You know what resonance is? I was a music teacher. Let, Let me be a nerd for just a second. Resonance is when something starts vibrating in sync with something else. You know what happens when you get a resonant? When you get resonant frequencies, engineers have to figure out resonant frequencies of buildings. Because if things start getting moving in a building and they start getting in sync, you know what happens? It could tear the building down. Because those waves get more and more and more amplified. It becomes a loop where it starts feeding itself and it gets stronger and stronger. Wait a minute. When the Word begins to resonate in our hearts and we start letting ourselves be moved 
moved in the same frequency, in the same pattern, in the same ways that the Bible is, you know what happens? We are amplified. We are more than what we were before. We are able to do more than we can do when we're not in resonance, in sync with the very Word of God. When you start getting something that's out of phase, that's out of tune, that's not in sync with another sound, you know what the honest word in music is? You're either out of tune or you're, produced, you're producing discord. It's chaos. The closer you are, there are machines that can help you get in tune. But you know what we used to have to do? As a musician, I had to learn to listen because once you're in a performance, nobody's going to walk over and reestablish the standard. I have to know what the standard is. I was a clarinet player. On certain notes of my clarinet, I had to know how far out of tune it naturally was and I had to make the adjustment. Live, on the fly, I had to know that this note is always flat on my instrument so I'm going to adjust it so that I'm perfectly in tune and I know it's flat before the note comes out so I'm going to make the adjustment. And I make that at the speed of light. You know what the Word teaches us? My natural thinking is a little flat there. Boy, I view myself and it's not according to God's will. So you know what I have to do? I have to go back to the standard and know what it's going to be before it comes out and I've already made the adjustment so that it comes out right. So that I produce harmony. So that we have amplification and not discord and dissonance. Stand with me.